Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from BearMarriage.com, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence-based biblical advice for your sex life and your marriage. So do you have perceived autonomy or actual autonomy? Well, you have both. And how do those things interact with each other? And how do they <laughs> determine what we do with our lives? Yeah. I am joined today by my daughter, Rebecca Lindenbach. That's me. And she, every Friday... We send out an email to, I don't know how many people, but 45,000 people who are signed up mm-hmm. to our email list. And Rebecca writes those emails. And when I used to write the email, we had about a 20% open rate. Which is really good for Yeah, the for our industry. Now that Rebecca writes it, we have like a 50% open rate. <laughs> it's <laughs> been, I will say, thank you to everyone who reads them every week. It actually yeah. is such an encouragement that people seem to enjoy what I have to write. And yeah. I love the replies that I get too. Yeah, it's often really, they're longer than blog posts often. Like they're really in-depth and they're really um, thoughtful. Um, especially about about faith issues that we're going through. And so we want to talk about one of her recent articles, one of her recent emails that she sent, because I think it's a really important one as we transition into a couple of podcasts in the next few weeks that are going to be looking at church hurt mm-hmm. and how we navigate church hurt. Before we do that, for something completely different, um, but also totally on brand, now is the time, people. We have our survey open. We are collecting survey responses for our new matched pair marriage survey. And matched pair means that both of you and the couple take the survey, not together. It's still totally anonymous. You don't know what your what your spouse is saying, but we're able to link you in a certain way. It's really kind of nifty. Um, and then we can make some awesome comparisons and do some studies we haven't been able to do when we just survey men or just survey women. So that survey is open to any anyone who is currently married to any couple where at least one of you is a Christian. And the link is in the podcast notes. Um, It's going to be open for, I don't know, we'll probably keep it open till Christmas or something, but please Mm -hmm. take it. We need you so much. We really appreciate all of your help because of you. It's because of you that we can write the books that we're writing. Exactly. And this one is a new marriage book that Keith and I have been writing. Um, And please share the link in your Facebook groups and your church mom group, wherever you go, uh, because the more people who take it, the better. And We'd love to get this disseminated as widely as possible. So please check that out. We really appreciate it. We already have ethics approval. We, uh, through Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, with Dr. Keith Gregoire, my husband, as the main researcher on it. So very excited about that. Okay, Becca, would you like to explain what you were talking about in that email? Yeah, so I, I was talking about the concept of autonomy being broken up into two different uh, groupings. And let's just, let, let's actually yeah, I'm gonna, uh, yeah. define autonomy first so before you even talk about the two Autonomy means how much agency you have over your own actions, like mm-hmm. your life, your body. It's, it's in essence your, uh, your power. Yes. Right? So it's another word for independence. Uh, we talk a lot about toddlers having a very high need for autonomy. Mm-hmm. That's the, no, I do it, I do it, I do it stage, right? Like that's the, <laughs> yes. I do it myself, I do it self, you know? <laughs> like, so that, that's the concept of autonomy is the idea that we have control over which direction our ship is heading. Okay? Mm-hmm. So we, at any given moment, we have our actual true level of autonomy Mm -hmm. and our perceived level of autonomy. Mm -hmm. So we have how much we actually have control over Mm -hmm. and how much we feel like we have control over. Right. And these often don't match up. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And and, and they also influence each other. And they do influence each other. So you tend to, you, you will act under the assumption that your perceived autonomy is your actual autonomy. Mm -hmm. So however much you feel like you have control over, that's generally how you'll act. Mm -hmm. Now, in the past, Mm -hmm. the church 
has had a lot of actual autonomy over us. Mm-hmm. It's had a, it has reduced people's actual autonomy quite a bit. Yeah. Look at the witch trials in Salem, yes. right? <laughs> like I saw her casting a spell in the middle of the night when I was just walking, yes. uh, you know, and she turned a newt into a horse and into a newt again and then burned to the stake, right? right. That is actual autonomy. They could kill women just for mm-hmm. saying the wrong words, mm-hmm. okay? Um, or even think about how, how recently women were considered the property of their husbands, where mm-hmm. they could be beaten, they could be uh, mistreated in all sorts of horrible ways, and it was there was literally no legal recourse. Right. Um, that is actual autonomy being taken away. Yes. Right? Um, think about even in American history, how uh, and Canadian history too, how recently women have been able to get credit cards and loans in their own names if they mm-hmm. are married mm-hmm. or if they're unmarried, right? Like, the, like these are all things that are issues of actual autonomy. Mm-hmm. How much power do you actually have? Yep. Recently, that's actually been leveling out a lot better than it ever has in history. Yeah. Do I think that we are doing very well overall? We still have a long way to go. But mm-hmm. it is, I do think, intellectually dishonest to pretend that it's just as bad as it's ever been. Right. Yes. No, it definitely is not. I have it a lot better than my mom. My mom had it better than her mom. Yeah. Et cetera. Yes. Yeah. And there are, you know, and there's a lot of issues with sexism, with, uh, you know, racism. There's all sorts of different kinds of discrimination that do reduce actual autonomy. Yes. Um, because, yeah, especially if you, if you're less likely to be able to get a job or to get housing mm-hmm. because of discrimination. Exactly. Um, yeah, all of those things definitely There's play a all role. All sorts of things. Exactly. And, and and that can be systemic too because, Absolutely. you know, certain people have just more money and more opportunity than others mm-hmm. because of be- category. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly, because of history. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just yeah. generational wealth that was passed Because on. of history. Yes. Like, yeah, there def- <laughs> definitely are. And of course, age plays a huge role yeah. because children do not have actual autonomy. Exactly. Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of things going here, but we're talking about this level of how much power do I actually have over my life versus how much power do I feel like I do? And what's interesting is the church has continuously lost its actual power over its congregants. But as a result, it seems Mm -hmm. to have amped up its desire to reduce their congregants' perceived autonomy. So as the congregants gain actual autonomy, like, hey, you can't burn us at the stake anymore, dudes. And also, I'm allowed to leave the church. I can just walk out and never come back and nobody can do anything to me. Yeah, the more secular that the world became, the less Mm -hmm. people's jobs were tied up to the local parish, you know, Mm -hmm. the less people's livelihood could be influenced by the church. That actually is something that increases the average congregants' actual autonomy quite a bit. Because you can, again, we left multiple churches Yes. <laughs> you know, can't. Well, we make it sound like it's so many. We left, we left two. We left yeah, two. we left two churches, but that is multiple. Yeah. But yeah, two churches had big, two big times leaving churches. Mm-hmm. Dad suddenly didn't lose his job as a doctor, right? Because yeah. <laughs> the separation of church and state, right? Like, right. this whole situation. That actually increased the autonomy. But mm-hmm. you have a lot of churches that have worked really, really hard to make people feel like they don't have a choice but to stay. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take marriage for a minute too yeah. about autonomy in marriage. So a lot of people feel like, well, I can't leave my husband, yeah. even if he's abusive, whatever. And let let let's let's say that there's in in many cases there actually isn't autonomy in the sense that if you leave, that's the time when the risk of violence Absolutely. goes up, yeah. and that's the time that she's most likely to be killed mm-hmm. or her kids most likely yeah. to be killed. There's been some horrible news stories, yeah about that even most mass mass shootings that occur are linked ultimately to domestic violence Mm -hmm. in the beginning so um 
in many cases in abusive situations, there actually isn't yes. autonomy. That's an issue so of actual autonomy. That's an issue of actual autonomy. But in some cases, it's not abusive. It's just a bad marriage, mm-hmm. right? And maybe he's cheating on you. He's perpetually using porn. He's gambling all the money away. Which we're, we're saying or we're not she's domestic. We're saying by not abusive, we mean no domestic violence. There's yes. not a domestic violence threat. We're not saying that like multiple affairs isn't a form of emotional abuse. That's not right. what we're saying. We're, right. uh, you use the word abuse. What we meant is domestic violence yes. in a physical form. Yes, yes, I yeah. did. But, you know, there there is an ability to leave a marriage <laughs> legally in a way today that there wasn't in 1940, 1930, 1920. Because Again, because the no church, yeah, because the mm-hmm. church used to be in charge of marriage. Right. Right. And they said, no, you can't leave. Yes. And so now we actually can't. So we actually have. But what has the church done? It's told women, especially, but women and men, you can't leave no matter what is happening, um, even in abusive situations. Let's remember that focus on the family. Their official stance is still that you cannot divorce for abuse. Uh-huh. Um, that, you know, you can separate, but the goal needs to always be working towards reconciliation. They don't mm-hmm. advertise that that much, but you can see that <laughs> on their on their um, position papers on mm-hmm. divorce and, and, and marriage that the only actual reason for divorce is adultery or abandonment. Mm-hmm. So not abuse. Um, and, and many denominations, many pastors still say that mm-hmm. to their congregants. And so, you know, you go for help to your community that you really love and that has a lot of influence over you and your community says you're not allowed to leave or else God's going to be angry at you and God's going to, you know, not forgive you. Yeah, exactly. Because the church does not have actual autonomy over people anymore in the mm-hmm. same way. And so they have to convince people to hand their autonomy over to them. Mm-hmm. That's what's so tricky. Again, we used to be in a position where the church had actual autonomy over mm-hmm. people. Think about how many uh, lots of land were owned by the church and had, you know, peasants working on them. Yes. Right? Um, and, and now... Churches have power over us because we choose to give it to them. Mm -hmm. That's not the same thing as saying that, like, it's all your fault. That's not what we're saying. But what we are saying is we have to recognize that our society has put in so many safeguards in place. Mm -hmm. It genuinely has. They might Mm -hmm. not be perfect, but they are there. That it is possible Mm -hmm. to live life Mm -hmm. not under the control of a church. Yes. So we get messages from a lot of people all of the time. Mm-hmm. And we got a message from a woman who was saying that her church was calling her in to be disciplined in front of the elders board. And she was just so stressed and like she was just, just didn't want to go and she didn't know what to do. And she was trying to prepare and saying, you could just not go. Yes. You are allowed to just not go yes. and not be disciplined. And that was just a thought that had never occurred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about this on the podcast with Nagma Panahi, actually, um, when we were talking about how the church bullied her um, and how Franklin Graham was making a lot of demands on her to reconcile with her abusive husband. Mm -hmm. Uh, That podcast was earlier um, in November, and I will, or no, it was the last one for Domestic Violence Awareness Month in in October. Um, But she figured out that, okay, I don't have to do everything that Franklin Graham is telling me to do, even though he is this super important person in the evangelical church, I actually don't have to listen to him. No, he only has power because we think he's important. Yes. If we don't think he's important, he loses all power. Yeah. That's not actual power, guys. That's (laughs) perceived power. And that's what I want people to understand is there's so much freedom when Mm. you realize you don't have to care what an abusive pastor thinks about you. Mm -hmm. You don't have to care what people think about you. Mm -hmm. These things 
don't actually have to have real physical power over you. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a lot of people who, because of spiritual abusive, spiritually abusive tactics, because of this manipulation, the using, like, God told me that you're supposed to take this job kind of language, mm-hmm. have ended up giving over a lot of their actual autonomy to the church. Yep. You know, people whose jobs are tied up in the church. There's a lot of situations where the husband and wife are both fully employed by a ministry mm-hmm. that then they realize is abusive and they have to get out of or is just not even abusive just toxic and they don't agree with but now they're stuck yeah right and maybe all of your social circles in the church because you've listened to everyone telling you that you should really only invest in your church community and you shouldn't um you know you shouldn't make best friends with people who aren't christian because then they'll 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 uh they'll lead you astray. They'll lead you astray. or you shouldn't talk to those kinds of christians because they have the wrong theology and slowly slowly bit by bit your perceived autonomy goes down because you believe all these things that other people say and so you've made choices that have actually lowered your actual autonomy yeah because you only went to bible college yeah so you have a degree that doesn't really count necessarily in the real world in the, in the wider circles yeah. you and your spouse are both employed in the church mm-hmm. um your whole social group belongs to the church maybe your family belongs to the church mm-hmm. and now you realize the church isn't a safe place but what do you do that's your entire exactly. life and your entire livelihood Mm-hmm. And so what I what I wish people could understand more, because I know mm-hmm. that this is very freeing when I realized it. <laughs> and, uh, and and of course, when you find something that helps you, you want everyone else to know about it too, right? Like that's natural. Mm-hmm. Is I, I just wish people understood more that you are allowed to take back that autonomy. Yeah. You know, I am so... And I know that people probably think I talk about this too much, but I think it's important. I'm just so grateful that I had the gift, and this is going to sound really bad, guys, but tr- work with you through it. I had the gift of learning to mistrust leadership when I was only 10 years old. Mm-hmm. That was a gift that I'm going to give my kids. <laughs> no, but it is truly a gift because I was in an I was in a in a uh, youth group with very spiritually abusive leaders. I have no problem saying that. Mm-hmm. Um and <laughs> yeah, I won't name them, but very very high levels of spiritual abuse going on in the youth group that I that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. I know many people who were victims of it. I never gave two craps what those people thought about me. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't have power over me. And I wish that I had had the wherewithal when I was 14, 15 years old to talk about that with my friends. Because instead I thought like, well, they like the, like they, they respect the pastor and that's all good and I'll, I'll, I'll get out of their way. And I wish I had gotten in their way a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So I think if someone had just told them, you don't have to care what he thinks about you, mm-hmm. his words would not have damaged them so much. Yeah. You know, if someone else had given them permission, you know, and I was in a position to be able to do that. And I was a child, so I'm not actually that hard on myself about it. But slowly, slowly, piece by piece, your actual autonomy can be taken away from you because we give it up. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so tricky. And so, uh, like, if you're in a situation where, like, stuff is bad, <laughs> you know, you're like, I don't, I don't feel safe in this church anymore. But, like, your whole employment is wrapped up in stuff and Mm -hmm. all your social group is wrapped up in this can i just gently say before like it might be wise (laughs) to try to get your autonomy back before Mm -hmm. you give it to them yeah you know because there's a lot of people who can speak to this stuff um but they do it before they've got a backing nagma went into the meeting with franklin graham with advocates yes she didn't go in alone yeah. You know, like when we talk about this idea of autonomy, you can get your autonomy back. Mm-hmm. You absolutely can. It might take a while. 
Mm-hmm. But you absolutely can. Our society is set up for it. Can I give you a story about this? Yeah, sure. Okay, this was 2015 at the Village Church, which is run by Matt Chandler. Mm-hmm. I think it's in Texas, but I'm blanking on it right now. But sorry, my Canadian brain doesn't always remember all of these things. Um, but Matt Chandler is a mega church pastor, Village Church, very large church. And there was a missionary couple. Um, I forget what the husband's name was, but Karen Hinckley was the wife. Mm-hmm. And it's good to remember her name. We don't remember his. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and they were on the mission field. They'd been married for six years. And she discovered that he had been using child sexual abuse materials. Yeah. AKA child porn. I prefer calling it child sexual abuse materials. The Brits have been doing this for years. You know, I love watching like Brit crime shows. They're mm-hmm. so much better than American. Crime <laughs> I'm like totally a Brit box girl. And I, I first started hearing them say this like a couple of years ago on shows. I'm like, what are child sexual abuse materials? And then you realize it's child porn. And slowly America is changing too, mm-hmm. because it is a better term mm-hmm. for it. So anyway, her husband had been using child sexual abuse materials. She comes home from the mission field and and just wants to annul the marriage because she says that this had been going on for years and nobody had disclosed it to her. So she got married oh, under false pretenses. Yes. Right? And so she left the church. And the village church was allowing the husband to go to church as long as he was accompanied by someone and was um, was telling her that she had to go for marriage counseling oh, to yeah. go towards reconciliation. Now, the tricky thing is that they had signed a membership covenant. Mm. And a membership covenant, for those of you who have signed it, I want you to know most churches do not have this. And I never even knew what it was. No, these are creepy and weird and cult-like. Yeah, I never even knew what it was until I I read the Karen Hinckley story. That was actually the first time I'd ever heard of a membership covenant. But since then, I've heard of so many. And in our patron group, somebody sent one and said, like, should I sign this? We were all like, no! (laughs) Run! (laughs) Run as fast as you can! But the membership covenants, what they often do is they... They tell the parishioners that if the church leadership has a problem with you, you need to listen to the elders or you face church discipline. And the things that you can face church discipline for are determined by the elders. Yeah, they say things so, like unrepentant sin, but they don't have like a long list of or, exactly what that would And often it can mean. be gossiping or disparaging the church, which yeah. just means saying anything negative about leaders like you covered up sexual abuse. Yeah. Right? Like what the freak does? <laughs> you know, so in her case, the elders were telling her, you need to go to marriage counseling. Matt Chandler yeah. was telling her, and she was saying no. So she leaves the church, mm-hmm. goes somewhere else, and they pursue her. They send emails. They tell the entire church mm-hmm. what she has done. Yeah. So this hits national news. Yep. <laughs> There's stories about it in several big papers. Um, and eventually Matt Chandler had to apologize and said that he hand- that he hadn't handled it properly <laughs> yeah yeah no duh but Sherlock <laughs> this was a you know but but membership covenants if you if you have one at a church and you read it you will realize that it is putting you at a major disadvantage it's saying mm-hmm. that if you have a problem with the church you promise that you won't bring in outside sources but that you yeah. will seek a mediator that the church approves of mm-hmm. you know or um you know you will listen to the church it doesn't tell you how you can hold leaders accountable. It yeah. only tells you how the leaders can hold you accountable and but what again, they can do to you. Yeah. And so, and a membership covenant is a legal document. Now, you can get out of them. I will put a link in the podcast notes from Dee um, at the Wartburg Watch, mm-hmm. who's written a lot on membership covenants. And she has a sample letter that you can send to your church. And they must listen to you. This has been established in courts now because um, uh, people have taken churches to court mm-hmm. <laughs> be, and, and, and vice versa. 
over this because often um, people will be pursued. So they'll leave the church. And because in the membership covenant, you promise that you won't leave the church too. Mm-hmm. Um, or that you say, this is, this is the body that I now belong to. This is my, this is my church fellowship. And so if you leave, they can pursue you. They can go talk to your employer about you. Mm-hmm. They can, and, and this isn't actually legal. If no. you say, no, I do not want to want to be a part of this anymore. They have to listen to that. Yes. A lot of churches have not but then you, you can hold them accountable and you can sue them. So we will put a link um, to that. But that's one example. So Karen Hinckley left. They didn't let her leave. <laughs> they pursued mm-hmm. her. And then they actually did have to apologize. And so why would people sign these things, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is because you want community. You want to yeah. do what God wants you to do. But I will just say, first of all, if you're at a church with a membership covenant, I have not heard of a single healthy church with a membership covenant. No, most Acts 29 churches have yeah. them. A lot of SBC churches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, but mm-hmm. do not sign a membership covenant because yeah. even churches that have membership covenants, you're often allowed to attend. Mm-hmm. Like even if you really desperately want to go to the church with the really creepy culty mm-hmm. uh, membership covenant, you can still go to church. You can still get to know the people. Like what are they yeah. actually going to do? Are they going to bar the doors and stuff? Like yeah. this again, going back to perceived autonomy versus yeah. actual autonomy. What are they actually going to do yeah they might tell you well you're not allowed to serve in certain ministries like okay i'm not allowed to volunteer you mean i can use the volunteer services but i can't actually volunteer okay (laughs) like you you're really you're really dying on this hill you want me to send my six kids downstairs every single week and you want me to not serve that doesn't sound like a bad deal like like again what are they actually gonna do right like oh well you can't bring things to the potluck can i eat at the potluck like (laughs) you know whatever it is and then some of this sounds ridiculous but this is actually what it is they hold things over your head that don't actually matter yeah like oh but you want the gift you want the ability the the ability to serve why Mm -hmm. if they're gonna make you sign away rights yeah to do it why don't give up your actual autonomy because your perceived autonomy is too low yeah don't Mm -hmm. and in marriage you see this all the time Mm -hmm. we hear we hear from women who said well i didn't think i could say anything why Mm -hmm. Yeah. You live in a nation <laughs> where you ha- your voice matters just as much as his. Mm-hmm. Like it's because the church convinces so many people and especially women that mm-hmm. your voice matters less. You don't get to speak up. It's like we talked about in the past week, the whole thing where like, you aren't allowed to have emotions because you're a woman. You're supposed to surrender because you're a woman. Why? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Or is that simply lowering our perceived autonomy so that we allow people to have more control over us? Because yeah. no one can have control over you that we don't give them mm-hmm. in, in the vast majority of cases. And so it, what happens if you are in a situation where you've given over control? Yeah. Let, let me give you another example. Yeah. Can okay, I do sure. that? Okay. So um, this is common. Uh, Watermark churches do this. Um, Harvest Bible Chapel did this. A lot, a lot of, of these big non-denominational churches do things with small groups. Oh, small groups are weird really sometimes in these lower places. autonomy. Now, I love the idea of small groups. I'm in I a small group. I think small groups are really, can be really healthy. They're fantastic. Um, I think getting to know people, like a smaller group of people that you're really connected with and that you do life with is is a really good thing. I think it's very biblical. I'm, I'm totally in favor of small groups. But some churches take it to such an extent mm-hmm. that um, in order, that, that you're required to belong to a small group if you want to go to the church. Often the church assigns you to a small group and then in that small group, you're required to hand over your tax returns, mm-hmm. to show your income slips. You're not allowed to like 
buy a house or make a job decision unless the small group agrees. Um, things that are said in the small group can be reported by the leaders to the pastor if yeah. they think that you're a problem. And on a, like, on a more what isn't but feels lesser note often it's where you're encouraged to undergo confessionals yes and talk about all the sins that you've ever done or like your worst sin or like and and it's talked about in a lot of spiritual ways like you need to confess your sins to let go of any footholds that the devil might have over you like the, mm-hmm. these kind and of things. often it's that, that the leaders don't do the confessing the leaders of the small group don't but they they require the people to quite frequently like there's some really weird dynamics it can be really weird guys um and i'll put a link there's a blog called no eden elsewhere that has done a lot of work on like the watermark uh in particular but it isn't just watermark like i'd encourage you to read it not to learn more about watermark but just to recognize this stuff because it isn't only in watermark Mm -hmm. it's in it's in a number of churches the way they they handle small groups so if you're in a small group where they require you to confess sins every week. Like or to I, bring in tax forms or employee, like, or, or mm-hmm. what's the pay stubs and stuff pay like that. Pay stubs. And then, and then to show how much you're actually tithing or giving. I know that some Harvest Bible chapels in Canada even have done that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know, yeah, I know some Harvest Bible small groups where they divide into men and women at the beginning and you're supposed to confess your sins for the week and they hold, and, and it's all done in the name of accountability. I don't have a problem with having a small group where confession is a big part of it, but it should flow naturally mm-hmm. out of the community you've already built. And there shouldn't be it a power should not, hierarchy. Yeah, no, but it should not be forced. Like this is the thing, accountability and vulnerability are things that grow naturally out of safe relationships. Mm-hmm. You cannot force vulnerability um, and accountability onto relationships that have not been properly formed yet. And so when small groups grow, because you know people, have learned to trust each other and we've been safe for each other. And then, you know, you've been going for a couple of months and you're like, you know what, I'm having this real issue. And it's, it's just a recurrence and that I can't get over and I really need some help. And guys, let me tell you about it. Can you pray with me? That's a good thing. (laughs) But bringing people in the very first week and say, what is the one big sin you're struggling with right now? You need to tell everybody that is a control move. That is not And I think a lot of this comes down to peer pressure. Mm -hmm. We think peer pressure is an adolescent um, issue, and it's definitely a stronger um, influencer in adolescence, but peer pressure gets us in adulthood too. Mm -hmm. That's why it's so important to understand the difference between actual and perceived autonomy, because once you do, you recognize peer pressure where it is. It's like, this isn't actually, I don't, I actually do have power here. I'm just experiencing peer pressure. I don't have to tell Natalie (laughs) <laughs> how much porn you watched over the last week, you know, yeah. even if you watched none. You yeah. don't need to tell her that you watched none. Mm-hmm. She doesn't deserve to know any of it. You know, yes. but that's what happens in these small groups. You don't need to give Brad your pay stub and your monthly budget to make sure that there's enough give, going to the church. You don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. This is all peer pressure that people are using to be able to chip away slowly at that autonomy. You know, you were saying that you wanted to teach your kids how not to trust church leadership, right? But the thing is, your pastor in the church that you're currently in is also teaching your kids that. Well, that's exactly Your pastor is so invested in making sure that he doesn't have power and control. Well, and yeah. and so this is this is something that I really want people to understand is like when we're talking about the stuff that churches do, not all churches do this mm-hmm. and we need to start filling the pews of the churches that are healthy. I want to tell a story of meeting my my first pastor that was just mine. Okay. When I went to University of Ottawa. 
Uh, and the funny thing is I know he reads my newsletters, so I know he probably heard this lovely thing that I said about him. But I, like I said, I grew up in a very, in a, in a lot of churches that we've had very high control kind of tendencies. They wanted to make sure people obeyed them, all that kind of stuff. Everyone, I was a thorn in everyone's side. No one liked me. It was fine. It was yeah. good for me in the long term. But then I got to university and of course it's really tricky because I was like, I want to find a good church, right? I felt mm-hmm. like I was leaving this small town that didn't have healthy churches as far as I knew. And now I was in this big city. I had a chance to find a church that was actually good mm-hmm. and so i i'm i start going to this small little church downtown and i go to the i talk to the pastor and he asked me if uh if i wanted to join the worship team because i've been going for a little bit and i said i i think i'd like to but i i really want to make sure this church is something that that fits with me first so can we chat and he said, oh, yeah, I'd love. Let's grab coffee. So we did. And I grilled the man for an hour and a half <laughs> on so many things. I grilled him on, you know, yeah, I grilled him on women in leadership, on uh, views of old versus new earth, on everything. And there were a lot of things that he, uh, first of all, he was the first person who ever, who was a pastor, who had ever actually uh, looked at me and told me that he believed that women were made just as much in the image of God as men were and that women of and for him it was kind of like this is a no-brainer of course women can be pastors like yeah the person who was passed before me was a woman like <laughs> that's that's fine like that's not really I, he, he actually looked at me like yeah that's not that big of an issue because it was just such a given uh-huh. that women would be respected yes. <laughs> and and that held up in that church um but the a lot of them he either said i don't really care that much mm-hmm. what you believe about that yeah. and or else it was like i don't know i don't really have, have that much of a formed opinion on that incredibly niche tertiary issue <laughs> that your baptist church thought was the end of the world right um right you know what i mean and that was so freeing because you know what that said to me you don't need to think exactly like me to be welcome here you don't need to agree with everything that i say i'm not looking for blind obedience i'm not looking for you to see me as some all-knowing charismatic leader he Mm -hmm. was perfectly happy and i had only known him a couple of weeks to and he was trying to get me to join the volunteer group at his Mm -hmm. church and he was like yeah i don't know (laughs) <laughs> like that is so healthy and yes. not in one of those feigned humility like you know none of us will know the truths of god but i'm pretty darn close like it wasn't like that it was like a no like that these things don't matter to me as much as the overarching message of christ and that was such an amazing experience and i held that forever um he was like he ended up uh marrying he did the ceremony for me and connor he baptized connor it was like just a really important pastor in my life and then in my church that we're in now there's so much uh there's so many safeguards to make sure that like the pastor doesn't know who's giving what mm-hmm. <laughs> you know uh there's there's accountability in place and everything's very open and and it's it's just when you're in a church that's healthy they will want to perceive they will want to help your perceived autonomy match your actual autonomy mm-hmm. they won't be trying to take away your perceived autonomy right they'll be trying to empower you not to disempower you they won't be trying to convince you to give your power to them mm-hmm. they want you to use your power for what god wants you to do with it mm-hmm. and the biggest thing is they're not going to be afraid of you just not agreeing with them 100% you know they're not yeah. going to be afraid of you having an opinion they're not going to be afraid of you bringing stuff up it it, it it's it's such a fundamentally different experience and i hope that this conversation about like how much power do you actually have can be illuminating because even within marriage how many people have we talked to whose husbands didn't realize that their wives were trying to submit Mm -hmm. right and they just never thought Mm -hmm. they could speak up and their husbands 
frankly, weren't going to the men's retreats and yeah. weren't reading the book studies. They were just kind of dudes who went to church. <laughs> and she's getting all this material from reading Love and Respect and reading for women only all these books that he's not reading. Mm-hmm. And we hear this so often. Women say, yeah, I just started speaking up and he was fine with it. And then everything kind of got better because yeah. their perceived autonomy was like bottom of the floor, but their actual autonomy was like way up here. Yeah. And and I, I just, I just want to encourage you to actually sit back and don't ask what do I feel will happen Mm -hmm. or how much power do I feel I have but actually sit back and say wait what actually would happen Mm -hmm. and how can I get ahead of those like okay say you're both employed at a church and you've been working through all these toxic teachings maybe you've read the great sex rescue and she deserves better and a bunch of other books and you're like ah this is not good we need Mm -hmm. to change things but you're still tied up employment wise can you work on finding another job? Like, how can we get our autonomy back, right? Mm -hmm. How can we remove ourselves and take our power back? Because legally, you are protected to do those Mm -hmm. things. Nothing is stopping you from quitting that job and finding another one. You know, uh, it feels scary. It it feels feels scary. It feels like you're not allowed to because everybody would be mad at you. But there actually isn't anything that's I mean, look at us. Uh, We got threatened uh, with lawsuits multiple Mm -hmm. times. Mm-hmm. everyone's like a bunch of people tried to sue us like oh, i'm gonna yeah. sue you i'm gonna sue you for this i'm gonna sue you for that we're like okay but are you actually going to yeah because you have no standing you have no standing you can't and and it, it was all and nothing ever ever came from it because all we do is quote people's own books right but and does that mean that it wasn't scary to go through does that mean that it wasn't a really hard stressful slightly traumatic experience absolutely not it still was mm-hmm. but but that's the difference is we didn't act based on our perceived autonomy in that moment we acted based on our actual autonomy and our actual yeah. autonomy is the laws on our side yeah exactly okay i have another example are you ready okay here's another example where people's perceived autonomy often goes really really low okay. biblical counseling oh my word don't even get me started on that one okay so you just you you know you do it you do it you go, you go. i'm just gonna i'm okay. just gonna sit back i'm just gonna sit back so there's a difference between biblical counselors and licensed counselors so biblical counselors um it's it's a form of counseling it doesn't mean someone who believes the bible who counsels there are lots and lots of people who are christian who believe the bible who use the bible um who are willing to use the bible in counseling but they're trained and they're licensed (laughs) and they're trained in evidence-based therapies and they are licensed by state or provincial accrediting boards so um so you have your licensed um, marriage and family therapist you have your uh psychologists you have your licensed social workers clinical social workers You, you have lots of people with licensure that's one type of counseling. Then you have biblical counselors who don't have licenses um, and they are taught and educated in a field where they tend to see everything in terms of sin or lack of faith. Well, because they're taught that the Bible is the basis for everything that you need. Right. And so it's not about mental health. It's not. And, and they often come from a very patriarchal way of looking at marriage, too. And so the focus is going to be on submission. And I've written a ton about this. I have an example of a handout of 98 ways you can sin against your husband, which was given to a woman whose husband was committing adultery. And she was told to take this home and fill it out um, at a Harvest at Harvest Bible Shop in Chicago when that was still there. Um, So, you know, this is this biblical counseling is a huge problem. When you go in to biblical counseling at a church, because lots of churches that offer counseling only offer biblical counseling, what people may not know is that you are signing away your right to privacy. And this is what makes me so mad on the autonomy discussion. 
in psychology, you have to take an ethics course every single year. They get boring because you have to take the same course, just gets slightly yeah. more complicated every single year. You know what psychology is constantly worried about? Mm-hmm. Maintaining the autonomy of the client. Yeah. We are constantly taught about how there is there are massive uh issues of power here because you have someone who's coming in to divulge their life secrets to you and Mm -hmm. you are not reciprocating that you're not supposed to because that makes it really inappropriate but it also there is a massive power imbalance here you they are supremely vulnerable they're Mm -hmm. sitting there you are the person that again Mm -hmm. you're supposed to fix the most inner deepest personal intimate parts of themselves they're supposed to show this to you and in biblical counseling it's the complete opposite Mm-hmm. It's how can I make sure that I remove enough of your autonomy that you have to keep coming back to me? You look at the, the contracts in mm-hmm. biblical counselors, and I know we always get some people being like, I'm a biblical counselor and I'm healthy. I'm like, okay, then get licensed. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> I don't have time for this anymore. Yeah. And I know I'm really, really harsh about this, but I studied for four years all the ways that this can go wrong. Mm-hmm. And then I stopped university and I got into this field and I studied for 10 years, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess eight years now. Yeah. How many ways this can go wrong? It's... It's just bizarrely, I can't tell you enough the difference between the ethical conversations that we have even as first year undergrads. And mm-hmm. within the first paragraph of these biblical counseling documents, they, they would just mm-hmm. tear to shreds so many of the ethical laws that licensed mm-hmm. practitioners have to abide by. The idea that you should be able to go to someone else who's not in that counseling situation and tell them about a persistent sin, even if your uh, your your counseling uh, uh, patient client mm-hmm. asks you not to, is horrific. Yeah. It's horrific. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. and it's just... I, and, so I just that is, and that is what's happening in a biblical counseling situation. When you sign that form, you're saying that your counselor can talk to your pastor, can talk to previous counselors, can talk to basically, you know, church leadership about whatever you've done. Yeah. And there's so many instances when this has been done. So I have an article that, di- that, that goes through one of the biblical counseling forms that you have to sign and some of the problems with it. And, and again, a link to that. Culturally speaking, Mm-hmm. They do not have that autonomy over you unless you give it to them. Yes. That's what we're trying to get at here. They do not have yeah, the ability because, to do that unless you let them. Because what often happens is a person goes to the pastor in crisis, whether it's a marital crisis or a mental health crisis or a crisis with their kids, whatever kind of crisis it is. And the pastor says, okay, you need to go to the biblical counselor. Yes. And they requ- they are actually requiring you to go to the biblical counselor or else you'll come under church discipline. So- and again, we have to ask, what does requiring mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are they going to have elders yell at you? Can you just not show up? They're not going to yeah. sue you for that. Yeah. And if and if they try to take it out on you because of this membership covenant that you signed, you can just write a letter and get out of it. Yeah. And if they come after you, then they're now breaking the law. Yeah, exactly. These are these are all the things. They use these really big words. Like they require you to go under discipline. Mm-hmm. You are obligated due to your contract. Don't accept the words. Mm-hmm. You live, like, if you are in the North America, because <laughs> like, I don't know the laws in other countries very well, but if you are in North America, there are so many legal safeguards. They don't want people to not be able to get out of a cult, guys. Yeah. It is bad for the government if you can't get out of a cult. They yeah. want you to be able to get out, mm-hmm. okay? So there are safeguards there. If someone is threatening you because they have convinced you through spiritual abuse, through uh, manipulating the word of God to give your autonomy mm-hmm. over to them, and they're trying to to now punish you and they have the ability to punish you because of power that you have handed over to them under false pretenses. Mm-hmm. Take it back. Yeah. Take it back. 
like you can yeah you can say to that pastor okay i will see a counselor but i'm only going to see a counselor that i choose and they have to be licensed and if the pastor doesn't like that that's a sign that the church isn't safe and i think this this is actually the crux of it for so mm-hmm. many people is that they feel like they can't do anything or they yes. can't make decisions for themselves because it would mean admitting that your church isn't a safe place and admitting that your social group at church may not be healthy for you. Yeah. And because that is so hard to um, admit and to live with, you tell yourself, well, I don't have a choice. Yes. But the actual fact is legally in every way you do. Now I do want to put a big caveat in here which is that when people have been victims of trauma, when people have been victims of religious abuse, when people have been victims of, of abuse in any form, stemming from your childhood, stemming from your teenage life, whenever, that really does wear, I think both at your perceived and your actual autonomy, because sometimes we don't have the psychological wherewithal or emotional strength or whatever to come out on our own. And that's where we need help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that, and, and, and that's what I want people to understand is like, if you actually feel like your real autonomy, your actual autonomy is lower than it should be, because yes. you really do feel like, no, I am not able to make decisions on my own. I am not able to stand up yeah. on my own um, because I just don't have the strength. I don't have the resources, whatever it might be you know, please see a licensed therapist because sometimes we actually don't have a lot of autonomy because it was taken from us in abusive situations. So like we have legally, we have autonomy, like in all of those ways we have autonomy, but we actually don't have like the psychological, the emotional, you know, we've been really beaten down. Mm-hmm. And that's where like, we need to help people get their perceived autonomy back up, you, yeah. know? you know, and that might mean working on your own, like, inner resilience so mm-hmm. that so that your perceived autonomy can actually match your actual autonomy and so that your actual autonomy comes back up because sometimes like yeah physically emotionally psychologically our autonomy is lower because we ourselves can't handle because of the trauma that we have yeah yeah no you exactly know? but that's that's just a conversation we've wanted to have for a while to come because and the reason we wanted to have it here, even though we typically don't talk about things like church abuse or spiritual manipulation that much, is that mm-hmm. we do talk about toxic teachings. Mm-hmm. And what happens when you talk about toxic teachings? People realize that the toxic teachings come from toxic churches. Yes. And then people are in toxic churches. They're like, oh my goodness, uh, my husband is a pastor and I am the assistant at the church. And now we have to speak out against this church. What on earth do we do? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, what we're saying is please, the unfortunate message that I want to give you Please do not underestimate the lengths that people will go to -hmm. keep you under control. So please take away any leverage that they have Mm -hmm. as soon as you can. If -hmm. you're employed by a church that you're concerned about, try to find a different job immediately. Um, Because you can just kind of keep going under the radar until you find another one, even if it takes months. And Mm -hmm. then once you're safe, Sarah McDougall has this great uh, three-step process that she talks women through from abusive relationships where you first have to work on safety, mm-hmm. right? You don't even worry about anything else until you're just actually safe. Mm-hmm. And then you work on security. Mm-hmm. 
so like, wait, so I'm now physically safe and now I'm working on like rebuilding and uh, getting the floor back underneath of me, right? And then you can work on strength and how do I become, you know, strong again. And anyway, mm-hmm. she has this, it's a fantastic, if you check out Wilderness to Wild, if you're someone who's dealt with trauma, especially mm-hmm. from past relationships, she's got some amazing stuff there. But I think the same applies here. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we ask people to be strong before they've even had a chance to be safe. Mm-hmm. And so if you're in a situation where your autonomy has been chipped away at and you've been convinced and beguiled and tricked into giving bits of your power over to a um, unsafe organization or unsafe people or whatever it is, safety first. Mm-hmm. Work on getting those back you know, get financially stable outside of them. Um, maybe reconnect with some old friends from past social lives that you kind <laughs> of abandoned a bit. You know, lots of people reach out again 10 years after the fact and they pick up right where they left off. Mm-hmm. You know, um, join a hobby that's outside of the church so you can build up social supports again. Um, those kinds of things. Start reaching that out so that you can get to that safety and stability so that then when you have to be strong, you have a firm foundation to stand on and they can't actually do anything to you. Mm-hmm. because you've taken your power back. Yeah. And I just want to reiterate, you know, leaving a church is, is really traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> leaving a marriage is infinitely more so. But yeah. but leaving a church, especially if your parents go there, if your family's gone there, if this mm-hmm. has been your church home, and a lot of us are feeling called out from the church. And, you know, you're allowed to leave. They don't, they don't own you. Nope. They, they can't control you. And a lot of us feel like they do, but they actually don't. Yeah. And and you can leave. Um, and you can find somewhere healthy. And that's what we're going to be talking about in the next few podcasts leading yes. up to Christmas. Is um, some of the ways that church has hurt us, but also a vision for what church can look like when it's healthy. And, yes. and some of the reasons that church has really gone off the rails. We've got Andrew Whitehead coming on next week. We've got Laura Anderson coming on with her book, um, uh, When Religion Hurts You. We've got mm-hmm. Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger coming on with her new book, Pivot, about Tove churches. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we, I want to talk about how we can get healthier. But just remember, you're allowed to leave unhealthy places. But also, please remember, there are healthy ones out there. Mm-hmm. And if we can flood the healthy churches, the healthy churches will grow. And then they'll have the great youth programs, too. Yes. And they'll have the great kids programs. Hopefully, they won't have the, the smoke machines at worship. But like, No one needs the smoke machines. No one needs the smoke machines at worship. But but they can have the good programs, too, if they get enough bodies. Mm-hmm. And so like, we don't need to fill up the toxic places. So that's what I want to share. I'm going to bring your dad on to talk about one toxic place in particular. Super quick. (laughs) I have brought my husband, Keith, onto the podcast. Hey, everybody. And we have been talking about um, high control churches and churches that are sometimes toxic spaces. And we had a great conversation with Becca. Mm -hmm. What I want to do with you... Okay. Is have you listened to something that you have not been prepped for? I know. Like, this is the thing. Usually <laughs> I know what you've talked about in the first part of the podcast, but I've been working on our book all day, and so yes. I have no idea what has transpired. Yes, because we, so feel... we are sketching at the marriage book. We're so excited to have the data once you guys all yes. take the survey. Link in podcast notes <laughs> um, to take that survey. So we have been working on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I, I have something that I want you to listen to. Okay, sounds good. So this is from um, John MacArthur. And I saw this quote go quite viral on social media where he's talking about how husbands can be the savior of their wives and how what? and why. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's so much fun. So are you ready? Okay. Let's, let's hear it. The way that uh, Paul described marriage in Ephesians 5, 
he basically says that a husband is like a savior to his wife. That's essentially what it says. And, and I, think, I think the burden really lies with men to see themselves as those who rescue women from loneliness, who rescue women from being in an uh, unfulfilled life, from being in, in a place where they aren't protected, they aren't provided for, they aren't cared for, they aren't loved, they aren't given the opportunity to have children. So from, from what I would experience in, in our society, it's the men that have to step up and I honestly do not know what in the world they are waiting for. I have threatened many times to line up all the single women on one side, all the single men on the other side, and assign you a wife. But I, instead of looking for someone who is some kind of trophy, you need to look to someone who loves Christ, that, that you can be a savior to that person and a protector and a provider and, and a lover and um, be what Christ is to his church because that's the picture. And I, I strongly exhort young men to find a wife because in that finding is God's greatest gift in this world and it allows you to raise up children who know and love the Lord. That's the purpose of marriage, to procreate, and to do so in Christ is the highest calling in life. Well, that's a take. <laughs> so much to say. Um, I want to say one thing first, and sure. then I'll get your, and then I'll yeah. get your feedback. But I, John MacArthur is actually making one of the big mistakes when it comes to um, interpreting scripture right here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is when you give, when, when there's a metaphor... Yes. The metaphor is being used for a specific purpose, and it yeah. doesn't mean that absolutely everything that applies to A also applies to B. Yes, exactly. So in the metaphor of Christ... Uh, the, the whole time he was talking, I was thinking, holy Jesus, Batman. <laughs> exactly. Like, like... <laughs> like, like when, when, when Paul is saying that Christ is to the church as husband is to the wife, he doesn't mean that... Christ, that the husband is to the wife everything that Christ is to the church. He's using the analogy yes. in a particular sense, which is that Christ served and sacrificed for the church and and there is unity and that brought about unity. And yeah. so men should serve yeah. and sacrifice for their wives to bring about unity. Absolutely. And it's, it's not, I mean, he's not saying, for instance, that husbands are sinless like Christ. Yeah. Or that husbands have all power like Christ. Or, or that husbands things. are the savior. Or like that Christ. husbands are the, like, I mean, that's the first, I was thinking, uh, did I hear that correctly? And then he yeah. said it like two or three times. Yeah, he says, men, find a wife you can marry that you can be a savior to, which is yeah. like, oh, wow, okay. Um, but... And, and, you know, and the thing is just, I mean, the thing I was thinking when I heard that was, as, as soon as he started talking about the husband being the savior, the first thing I thought about was Genesis 3. Uh-huh. Because that is the deal. You will be like God. Mm-hmm. That is the ultimate sin, that we want to yeah. be like God. And here is this guy mm-hmm. teaching... You're like God to your wife. Yes. Are you, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like this is the ultimate sin. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, it doesn't make any sense. It really is quite blasphemous. Okay. But w- the other reason I wanted to look uh, at this uh. is there's another huge, huge logical fallacy. Oh yeah. The whole thing's completely ridiculous. Yeah. But let's see what Theologically, he, philosophically, yeah. sociologically, but philosophically, I, I want to deal with the psychologically, sociolo- I want to deal with the sociologically. <laughs> the sociologically is the one that, that I find so funny here. So yes. what he's saying is that it is the man's role to rescue the woman. 
Yes. It says women, you need to rescue women from loneliness, from having an unfulfilled um, life, from being in a place where they aren't protected, where they aren't provided for, where they aren't cared for, where they aren't loved, where they aren't given the opportunity to have children. Yeah, exactly. Because because the biggest thing Mm -hmm. in having children is Mm -hmm. the man. Yeah. <laughs> like like when a couple gets together to make a child and bring it into the world, the yeah. one who gives the most there is the man. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I are mean, you kidding I me? Mean, I mean a man is necessary and I think that's No, what but he's it's saying. like it's like to say that he's giving her something. Yeah. By making her pregnant. Yeah. But she's not giving him anything well, by he, having a child and going through one of the most dangerous I, things that a human being can go through. I know he, do, through he does through human history. He does say later that you should get married so that you can raise children together. So he does say that okay. to the men. So but, he does have some mutuality. But, but here, okay. but but look at what he's saying. So what he's saying is that the condition of women, the reason that women need to be saved and rescued and mm-hmm. protected is because a single woman has a life of loneliness. She's living an unfulfilled life. She's not protected. She's not provided for. She's not cared for. She's not loved. She's not given the opportunity to have children. Mm-hmm. And so men need to rescue women from this. Right. What about men? Mm-hmm. Like... What about single men? Why is it that women need rescuing from being single? Yes. But men do not need rescuing from being single. Because to compare a husband saving his wife in this way means that she is worse off in her current condition than he is in his current condition. He does not need rescuing because he is the rescuer. He does not need saving because he is the savior. She needs saving Mm -hmm. from this unfulfilled, Mm -hmm. lonely, unlovable, like an unloving life, right? That doesn't hold water if you look sociologically well, at the studies. <laughs> it's just not true. I mean, like yeah. when, when, when a man dies and leaves a, a widow, mm-hmm. how much longer does she live without him yeah. than when a woman dies yeah. and the widower is left? Yes. Like he's gone pretty quick. Yeah. Like, we, like mm. scientifically, <laughs> we need women more than women need men. That's yes. just been shown to be true. Mm-hmm. Right? And in today's culture where women can work and earn a living, we do not need to be provided for yes. in the same and, way at And all. to me, this is one of the things that I hate about this whole mentality. It's like the man is the provider sort of thing. I, I get that. I understand that. But it's like when you put all of your masculinity in being the provider... Mm-hmm. And that is what it means for you to be a man. Like, what happens when your wife makes more than you? Yeah. Like, how do you deal with that? Yeah. Like, we have to have a, a Christian view of masculinity that goes beyond stereotypes and stuff that was out of date 40 years ago. Yeah. We just can't keep doing this. Yeah. And, and this it's just so toxic, this idea that women need to be rescued. When you actually look at the data, men do worse as a single man than a woman does as a single woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Like, men's health hugely benefited by marriage more than women's health is benefited by marriage even in good marriages men's happiness women are happier single than men are single we talked about that uh, study last year on a podcast how um there's a rise in single lonely men because single men do not do as well as single women and so it's like he isn't saying anything that has any basis in reality Mm-hmm. And what are the only reasons that he gives that a man might want to get married, that, that a man might benefit from marriage? The only thing he says is that I would strongly exhort young men to find a wife because in finding God, this is God's greatest gift in the world. Okay, so it's God's greatest gift. Doesn't understand. He doesn't explain why, but marriage is God's greatest gift because it allows you to raise up children who know and love the Lord. And that's the purpose of marriage to procreate and to do so is the highest calling in life. So men are supposed to marry because the highest 
the highest calling in life is to procreate. And that's the purpose of marriage. Mm, somebody should tell Paul. Yeah. First <laughs> Corinthians 7 does not say that marriage and having kids is the highest calling in life. He says that singleness is. Yeah. And yet to, John, the, to the unmarried and the widows, I say, I, I say this. Yeah. Right? And it's, I mean, that's scripture. Yeah. So once again, John, what John MacArthur is saying has no basis in scripture. Yeah. It has no basis in current trends, social mm-hmm. trends. <laughs> yeah. It has no basis in anything except his own view of gender relations, mm-hmm. which is that men are over women. Yeah. And that men need to, you know, need to go in and save women. And mm-hmm. what I find really interesting is he, he he's frustrated that men aren't stepping up to the challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's he's talking about how he chastises men and he's like, men aren't stepping up to the challenge. But he's not, uh, not introspective enough to think, why is that? Yeah. You know, like he's yeah. not curious enough to ask the question. Yeah. Why are men feeling that they're okay single mm-hmm. when they aren't? Mm-hmm. Well, because we've taught men, you don't need anyone else. Yeah. You're the center of the universe, right? Yeah. Get a wife and add her on to you because that's what that's the important yeah. thing. We don't teach men to be interdependent. We no. teach women to be interdependent. That's why women live longer. That's mm-hmm. why women have, you know, better health long term because we as humans are designed to connect. We are relational fundamentally. And places like this church mm-hmm. take that natural thing that God built into humans and we separate it. We pull it out of men and we say that's not for you. Mm-hmm. Don't be relational. Mm-hmm. Don't be like that. You stand on your own two feet and be separate. Yeah. And it's crazy. And then we wonder why men act like this mm-hmm. when we've mm-hmm. taught them to be like that. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. And so as we bring this podcast to a close, the, there's just a reminder that not every church is healthy. <laughs> not every church is healthy, but there are churches that are. Yep. And so we're trying to help you recognize the unhealthy stuff. So that you can find places that actually do say, hey, it's okay to have emotions. Hey, relationships are good. Hey, it's okay to show vulnerability. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, it's okay to not want to save save and lord over your wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and that men and women are both human. Yeah. And it's okay that we're more similar than we are different. Yeah, exactly. So thank you for joining us on the Bear Marriage Podcast. And over the next few weeks, as we continue to look at what it looks like to create a healthy church environment and to get rid of some of this toxic stuff, I hope that leading up to Christmas, as we welcome Emmanuel God with us mm. and what that looks like, um, that we can start to think about how we can have healthier church communities that don't spew this kind of nonsense. <laughs> um, so remember, you have autonomy. You may have more autonomy than you even think you have, but you do have more autonomy. (laughs) Go out and find it. Do the work to help your perceived autonomy match your actual autonomy and flee from people who say such nonsense like this and who abuse the Bible and who don't understand any social trends. So (laughs) thanks for joining us. Remember to take our survey. The link is in the podcast notes and we will see you again next week on the Uh, Fair Marriage Podcast. Bye. (laughs) Bye Bye-bye.